And there's not much need for a sermon after that, which no one will object to, but uh, the sermon for today revolves around a word, and that word is God forsaken. God forsaken. Because we see communities that seem God forsaken, we seem pe- see people who seem God forsaken, maybe even parts of our own lives that seem God forsaken, where God seems absent, and that absence uh, is deeply felt. So as we kind of get into the sermon part of our service, I want to ask you to reflect on this question. As you think about places and people and parts of your own life, where does God seem absent? Where does God seem absent? What seems God forsaken? Is it a place or part of the world that you care deeply about? Is it a person that you care deeply about? Or is it a person that God has put in your life even though you don't yet care deeply about them? Maybe it's a part of your own life where God seems absent or God seems silent. Or a part of your life, uh, not your life, but the life of uh, a person, another person, that one more person who trusts you as their trusted spiritual guide. Maybe for you it's life in general. Sometimes it just seems like God has forsaken you. I want you to hold on to that because we're going to start working through the third chapter of the book of Jonah. We've been studying the book of the Bible called Jonah, done that for a few weeks. We'll do it for a few more weeks. Today we want to look at Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. This is what Joe read for us earlier. So here's the outline of my sermon. I want to summarize the first two chapters of Jonah, then I want to walk through the third chapter of Jonah, then I want to give you two takeaways, all right? The outline makes sense. Good. If the outline does not make sense, the sermon will not make sense. So let me go back through what we've learned about Jonah so far to be very clear. This summary is only for the new people, only for the new people, wink, wink. The book starts with a guy, and the guy's name is Jonah, very good, and God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh, go to Nineveh, so that the people there can experience my love. Now, Nineveh was a city, and it was one that Jonah thought was God-forsaken. Jonah did not like the people there, and Jonah did not want God to love the people there, but God called Jonah out beyond where he was comfortable, go to Nineveh, and Jonah said no. Jonah takes off. Jonah runs from God. Nineveh is to the east. Jonah goes west. He hits the Mediterranean Sea. He gets on a boat and goes further west. The boat encounters a violent storm. The sailors throw Jonah overboard. Jonah is sinking into the Mediterranean Sea when the music starts. You know the music. And you start yelling at the screen, get out of the water, don't you hear that music? We're talking about the movie Jaws, in case that's not part of your generational upbringing. Please familiarize yourself with that song, so you will know when to get out of the water. And then what happens is that a giant sea critter swallows Jonah. Now, giant sea critter is a very technical term. 
of course, in the Bible, it often says a big fish, but remember, this is a small landlocked country in which Jonah was originally written. They really only had about one word for animals that lived in the sea. So when it says a, a big fish swallowed Jonah, what they're communicating is this giant sea critter came up and swallowed Jonah and ultimately saved Jonah's life. The miracle is that Jonah did not die in that whole ordeal, that God kept Jonah alive inside of this sea critter, that God used a sea animal to get Jonah back to shore. Now, this is the point in the book at which it is possible to raise an issue. Some folks, maybe some of us, might reasonably say, so wait a minute, Jonah survived inside of a sea animal. That doesn't seem very likely. And I agree. And ancient people agree. The, the sheer unlikelihood of Jonah's survival inside of this sea animal is what makes it a miracle. Is what makes it a miracle so important, so remarkable, that Jesus actually likened his resurrection to it. Now, I admit, there are some things that Christians believe that seem a little bit fantastic. A little bit like trying to explain how a magician has produced a rabbit out of a hat. But the flip side of that is, if there is no God, you still have to produce a rabbit. You still have to explain how a rabbit is produced. You just can't refer to the magician or the hat. Some of you all have to think about that. I borrowed that from a poet. But the point of that being, if there is a God, if God is as remarkable as the Bible portrays, God could do all kinds of things that seem unlikely to me. And in fact, as hard as it is for me to wrap my mind around miracles, miracles that God does seem far more plausible to me than the notion that the created world, that its order, that beauty, that rabbits and sea critters are all just part of some cosmic accident. So I admit that sometimes parts of the Christian faith can sound crazy. But if you actually drill into every way of explaining the world, eventually it starts to sound crazy. <laughs> and you just have to pick one of the crazy things as being true. One of these crazy things is true. And I just happen to believe uh, th through study and other things in my life that it's that God is doing remarkable things in the world, some of which we could never explain. So in Jonah chapter 2, it ends this way by saying, The Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. This is the favorite verse of every elementary school boy. That God rescued Jonah, even when Jonah was running away from God. That's the mercy of God. Even in our rebellion, God watches over us. Even in our rebellion, God rescues us. And then chapter 3 begins. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Now, does that sound familiar? It's almost exactly the same thing that Jonah chapter 1 began with. God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh. God is not going to let up on this one. God has something that he wants Jonah to do. God wants Jonah to leave his comfort zone and take a risk, follow God out into the unknown. Now, have you ever felt stuck? 
felt stuck in life or felt stuck in your relationship with God and weeks go by, months go by, years go by and you're still praying for the same thing, you're still worried about the same thing, you're still working on the same part of your character, have you ever felt stuck? If you've ever felt stuck, you have a friend in Jonah. Jonah knows what it's like to feel stuck because Jonah chapter 1 and Jonah chapter 3 begin almost the exact same way. And here's what happens. Verse 3 says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. So even though chapter 1 and chapter 3 begin the same way, Jonah's response is what's different. That's the thing that changes. Jonah has learned from what he went through in chapters 1 and in chapter 2, and he learns, he uses what he learned to respond differently. Even though he's in the exact same situation, he uses what he's learned to respond differently. This time, Jonah goes to Nineveh. He does not run away from God. As crazy as it seems, Jonah walks with God into that place that Jonah thinks is God-forsaken. It's risky, it's scary, it is not where Jonah wants to be, it is exactly where God wants Jonah to be. It continues, now Nineveh was a very large city, it took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. Now, sackcloth is an ancient symbol of mourning or of grief. If you had a loved one die, you would put on sackcloth to show your grief or your mourning. So what are the people of Nineveh mourning? What are the people of Nineveh grieving? They're grieving themselves. They are grieving the condition of their lives. So it's a three days walk from one side of Nineveh to the other side of Nineveh by ancient standards. That's a huge city. Jonah gets about one day's walk into Nineveh and he preaches a sermon, a very short sermon. Now, how many of you know preachers who preach very short sermons? When the preacher says, I'm wrapping up, I'm almost done, what do you think? You think, yeah, right. I'll believe it when I see it. But Jonah preaches a very short sermon. Some of you are hoping he may get invited to preach here in a few weeks. He preaches a very short sermon. He says, Nineveh is such a wicked place that in 40 days it's going to be destroyed. It is 40 days from being destroyed. And Nineveh was a wicked place. It was the capital of an empire known for its brutality. But Jonah's simple little sermon was a wake-up call to the people who lived there. It caused them to look again at their own lives, and they were shocked. They were grieved. The Scripture says the Ninevites believed God. They trusted God. They had faith. They fasted and grieved what their lives had become. Verse 6, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. So even the king was not exempt. Even the king was grieved by what he and his nation had become. This is the proclamation he, the king, issued in Nineveh. 
by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. In a shocking moment, the king realizes he is no longer in charge. He takes off his royal robes and puts on sackcloth. It is a humble thing to admit that God is in charge, that you or that I am no longer in control. God is in charge. And so the king issues a decree that everyone needs to fast. Everyone needs to be covered in sackcloth. That includes the animals. And one of the funniest parts of the book, even the animals have to wear sackcloth. Verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So essentially, the king calls for a national time of mourning. And when that happens, what we see in verse 10 is once again the triumph of God's mercy. That to me is the major theme of the book of Jonah, the triumph of God's mercy. That God showed mercy to Jonah, and then through Jonah, He showed mercy to Nineveh. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing for God to do in your life? Showed mercy to Jonah, and then through Jonah, showed mercy to Nineveh. Jonah 3 reminds me of Psalm 51. Verse 17 says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. That's what I see in Nineveh, that God will not turn away from those who are truly sorry, that God will not turn away from those who are truly grieved at how far from God they have fallen. Have you ever gotten to that point? of being truly grieved at how far from God you've fallen. You may be there today, or you may be there sometime very soon. You look at your life, you look at where your relationships are, you look at the bridges that you've burned, you look at how far from God you have wandered, you take it all in, and you grieve. You weep. Maybe externally or maybe just on the inside, but you may ask yourself, what does a broken person like me have to offer God? I mean, does a broken person have anything of value to offer to the God of the universe, the God who created beauty and wonder and, and order and sea critters and rabbits? Does a broken person have anything to offer God? And the answer is yes. In a very surprising turn, you can offer God your brokenness. God will not reject or despise your brokenness. God will receive it as a sacrifice. God will receive it as an offering. This is the wonder of God, that all you or I have to give Him is our brokenness, and He says, I'll accept that as an offering. 
We bring our broken lives and our remorse that they've gotten to this point, and we lay those broken lives down at the feet of Jesus. Jesus who was crucified. Jesus who was resurrected. Jesus who conquered death and gives new life. Jesus receives our broken, contrite lives as an offering and in turn offers us forgiveness. In turn, Jesus shows us mercy, gives us forgiveness, so that we can then be the the source through which He can offer mercy and forgiveness to others. He works in us so that He then can work through us. Because of Jesus, your broken life does not have to be the end of the story. There is hope. There is boundless hope. Once you and I can lay our broken lives at the feet of Jesus. Because at the feet of Jesus, we find mercy for us and we find mercy for others. We lay our broken lives at the feet of Jesus where we find mercy for us and mercy for others. So I promised you two takeaways today, and I've already given you one, but I need to make it official. So number one, number one, two takeaways. Number, 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 number one, God offers mercy to us so that he might offer mercy through us. God offers mercy to us so that he might offer mercy through us. Because how did God show mercy to Nineveh? Through Jonah. But why was Jonah even able to show up and preach his itty little little bitty sermon in Nineveh? Because God had rescued him. Because God had saved him. Because God had mercy on him. Even when Jonah was running away from God, even when he was running away from the purpose that God had for his life, God had mercy on Jonah. Jonah became a recipient of God's grace, and then because of that, he became an instrument of God's grace. God has a wonderful purpose for your life. God wants you to be an instrument of His grace. God wants some person, some place to experience His mercy in a tangible way. And now God is amazing, and God could get the mercy there in thousands of ways. God could send a giant sea critter to deliver the mercy, but God has an even crazier plan than that. God wants to use you. As you and I lay the pieces of our shattered lives down at the feet of Jesus, we receive forgiveness. And then we become an instrument of God's forgiveness. As we lay the pieces of our broken, shattered lives at Jesus' feet, we receive His mercy. And then we become instruments of His mercy. We receive His grace and then become instruments of His grace. I know that God can accomplish miracles because I'm looking at miracles right now. You're looking at a miracle right now. The fact that God could or would accomplish His purposes in the world through us is a miracle. It's hard to even describe. It's crazy. I just happen to think it's a crazy thing that's true. 
that all you or I have to offer is our brokenness. That's the only thing we have. And so in his grace, Jesus says, that's a sacrifice. That's an offering. I accept that as an offering. Receive my mercy in return. Receive forgiveness in return. He allows you and I to become sons and daughters of God when all we have to offer him is our brokenness. That's a miracle. And then number two, number two, number, 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 number two, God is at work in what seems God forsaken. You may have seen me building to that. God is at work in what seems God forsaken. Because Jonah shows up in Nineveh, he preaches his itty little bitty sermon, and what happens? People start repenting, people start turning to God, people start weeping. How is that even possible? It's possible because God was already at work there. Jonah did not take God's work to Nineveh. Jonah joined God's work in Nineveh. God had already set out the fireworks show, and he just needed Jonah to be the spark. So when you think about that God-forsaken place, that God-forsaken person, that God-forsaken part of your own life or the life of somebody you love, here's what you need to know. This is the point of the sermon. It ain't God-forsaken. It ain't God-forsaken. God is at work there. God is at work in the life of that person. God is at work in your life, and you can join in. You can join in with God's work. There's just one thing you have to do. Leave behind your comfortable little world and take a risk. Go to Nineveh. Walk with God into that part of your life. Walk with God into the life of that person. Walk with God into that place that God has laid on your soul. Walk with Him and join in His work as an instrument of His grace, having so much benefited from that grace. Okay, I'm wrapping up. I'm almost done. That's good. Y'all are quick. Didn't really get the rabbit in the hat thing, but you got that. That was excellent. So here's my challenge as I, wrap, as I do wrap this up. Go discover where God is at work in what seems God-forsaken to you. Find a way to join in. Go find where God is at work in what seems God-forsaken to you and find a way to join in. I pray that God would give us eyes to see how he really is working in tough situations, in, in tough people, in the tough parts of our own lives. He would give us eyes to see how he is working and then give us that little bit of courage we need to take a risk, to step out beyond where we feel comfortable, to follow him out beyond where we feel comfortable so that we can be instruments of God's love, God's grace, God's truth to other people. We live in the triumph of mercy. I believe the resurrection of Jesus is real, so I believe we live in the triumph of God's mercy. God's mercy has won this thing. There are some skirmishes between here and there, but God's mercy has won this thing. 
so that you and I can be part of the triumph of God's mercy. Not just benefiting from it, but being an instrument of it. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk with God about whatever it is He's stirring in your heart or in your mind. I don't know where the music and Gary's God story and the sermon will intersect with your life, but wherever it does, just talk to God about it. Lord, what an image from that psalm that you would receive our brokenness as an offering. That we could come and lay what's left of our broken, shattered lives at the feet of Jesus. And there we find mercy for us and mercy for others. So, Lord, for some of us, that's the exchange we need to make today. Come and let go. Do what the king of Nineveh did. Admit he's no longer, or she's no longer, I'm no longer in control. That God is in control. And invite you, Jesus, into the center of our lives to guide our steps, to transform our mind and transform our hearts, to make us the person you've wanted us to be. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would receive your mercy. And then as recipients, card-carrying member recipients of God's mercy, your sons and daughters only by your grace, that we would then go and extend that to other people. We would help other people taste what it's like to be at the feet of Jesus. Show us how to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand, let's worship God with our voices and our offerings and our prayer requests.